Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Today we've got a great show for you, and we are going to talk Oregon at Stanford, a uh, football game that plays Saturday evening in Palo Alto. Um, but Wednesdays are our podcast where we answer you, the Duck fans' biggest questions. So Eric and I have uh, we've we've scoured social media, DuckTerritory.com. We've checked our inboxes, uh, and we've we've selected eight questions, or I should say, Eric has selected eight questions uh, that you, the Duck fan, has asked us, and you want to know. And uh, so we'll, we'll give you our best answers. We'll also talk a little bit of Oregon Stanford, I'm sure, throughout this show. And uh, Eric. A lot to get to on this one. I think it, after two weeks of, of some downtime from football in terms of excitement of no offense to Nevada and Montana, we're into conference play and that buzz again is is back for Oregon football. Yeah, and not to, to do a little past questions. I think this is our best group of questions uh, today. I think a lot of interesting stuff. Ooh. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think you'll enjoy this group of questions. I, th- I thought some interesting angles covering a lot of different ground and. Uh, I'm excited to sort of chat about a bunch of this stuff because, again, it is the start of Pac-12 play. It's Oregon's first true road game. It's a game. It's a rivalry game against Stanford. There's injuries that are, you know, that are going on. There's just a lot to talk about with Oregon football. And, and of course, if, if they, Oregon does go down and beat the, the Cardinal in California, uh, that sets up Oregon pretty nicely in the Pac-12 race, moves them up in the polls and all that. So uh, a lot on the line this week and some good questions leading into it. So I will get started now. First question from at Clear Duck. Given Oregon's past road woes, how will Oregon find success on away games? What has changed? I will start by fielding this one, and this is going to be a uh, – I actually have a quote today because I asked Jacob Breland um, on Tuesday about this very topic, and I found this to be pretty interesting because it, it is one of those things where it's pretty easy on probably on film to go back and be like, okay, we, we weren't running our routes crisply, or, or maybe right. we, we, we had some sort of miscues, but when you're talking about – a road game and, and clear issues on the road because last year they were just terrible in in three of those road games in particular at Washington State, at Arizona and at Utah. I mean, just really bad first halves. And I found this quote from Jacob interesting, and I'll, we'll have a full story later in the week um, just about Oregon preparing, you know, to try to fix those road woes. But I found this was interesting. I think it was mostly mental. We were in shape physically and had everything that we needed to play, but I think our mental state wasn't quite there. Now this year we're mentally going into it more ready and prepared. When we get there, instead of relaxing, we'll be dialed in the whole time. Um, and I found just kind of the, the, the fact that he said that, that maybe they were relaxing at times last year to be interesting. I, I don't want to take too much from it, but it, it sort of felt that way, Matt. I think when, when you watched, especially a couple of those first halves, it just didn't feel like they were as engaged as they needed to be early. And I don't think it's – obviously it's a lot more than just saying one guy thought they were relaxing because it's – 85 guys are on this team, and there's a ton of different things going on. But I will be very, very curious to see. I think we'll know pretty early against Stanford where they're at mentally um, because there's so much on the line in this game. It is a road game. Um, and I think by that first quarter, even, the first couple of drives on both sides of the ball, we'll have a really good idea of kind of the strides they've made on the roads or the lack of strides they've made on the road because – Again, a year ago, it was just really dreadful. You know, in all, in, in basically the three biggest road games of the season, they just didn't show up. And 
starting with a road game at Stanford, I think that sets you up to really sort of get some practical experience and kind of, you know, evidence towards improvement or lack of improvement really early on. Yeah, I, th- I think when you look at this this game and you, the, the question is like, okay, what what does Oregon have to do to to solve their road woes? And you know, I, I think from – a schematic standpoint, you need to be successful on first down, right? Like, you, sure. you, Oregon has to go in there and it's Palo Alto, and, and when they play the Sanford team, who's historically, you know, one of the team, you know, one of the Pac-12's best defenses every year. They're always one of the best defenses in 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 the country, and you need to be able, I think, to be successful on first down. That's the first and most important aspect of it in that you need to be able, you know, on both sides of the football, don't put yourself in positions where you're having to make clutch plays on the road. That's always difficult to do. And um, I, I think the approach is also something that's interesting that you want to look into and um, you you want to know kind of like what, what works last year? What did you guys do? What, what worked? on the road, what didn't work and, you know, kind of make your adjustments there. Um, I think the mental approach is certainly something uh, that plays a big factor in the road. It, you know, you have to have confidence, but you don't want to be cocky. That's a, kind of like that fine line, right, of, you know, going into a game and, and knowing you're, you're going to win, but not overlooking your opponent at the same time. And, well, I don't know if, if you know, I don't want to just flat out say that they didn't respect Washington State and Arizona without asking them, but you kind of got that feeling last year, right? Like Oregon went into Washington State coming off that Washington win, such an emotional high, and you know they just kind of it just felt like Oregon could just show up and win, and, and that's not the case. You know, Oregon's not that good to be able to do that. You know, there, there's maybe two or three teams in the entire country who's that who, who are that good to do it, and they can't even you know win most of the time if they do that. So you know, I, I think the mental approach. You are right. This team is more, you know, fi- focused, more dialed in. I think their approach is a lot better. And, um, I also think, you know, another year in the system and Mario Cristobal has probably learned, you know, more of the CEO type mentality that he needs, you know, to handle road games in the Pac 12. And we've, we, oh, just a, a final thought here. We've heard a lot of made about how cohesive this team is, how they're a family, how it feels different even from a year ago and obviously past years. I think we'll get a better idea of kind of this team's mental uh, and emotional makeup once we see them go on the road this week against Stanford. Uh, it's, it's something where we saw, I think, I think, I think they first, they, you know, they passed that first test against Auburn in a lot of ways. Obviously they didn't win the game. They didn't finish the game, but they showed up and played at a very high level against a really good football team. And then at home, I thought they answered pretty well, obviously really well against Nevada and Montana. There were some positives, some take, you know, some negatives to take away, but this Stanford game, I think is going to be a, a really big telltale game in terms of where they're at. Um, in terms of just kind of, you hear all this stuff about everyone buying in and, and now it's an opportunity to go out and show it. Second question from at Drew Goalie. Are all of these injuries just bad luck or is something systemic going on behind the scenes? You know, I don't think that I, I don't understand how there would be something systemic going on w- with this program in terms of like, I, I don't think they're preparing in a way that leads to injuries. I think a lot of this is just, I don't know if you want to say bad luck's the right word, but a lot of this is just 
kind of unfortunate timing. A guy gets hurt here, you know, and hurt there. And you see it across the country and you see it in the NFL and see it in all sports. You know, injuries are a part, unfortunately, of this game. And yeah, Oregon has been dealt a pretty bad hand, you know, at certain position groups. We should mention if, if you haven't been listening all, you know, along all this week, Cam McCormick has been ruled out for the season. That was announced on Monday. That's a tough blow. Uh, a couple of other players are still kind of waiting to hear a final word about a handful of other, not a handful, but a couple other players, Thomas Graham and Jake Hansen, particularly Jawan Johnson as well. Um, but it has been a rough, it has been a rough, you know, start to the season from injury. Just a little bit. You know, it, it, it's, it's impossible to ignore that. Yeah. It, it, it certainly is one of those deals where you, I, I agree with you. They're not doing anything that's, you know, hurting or, you know, they're not, they're not risking the health of this team in practice for, for the games. Let's just say that. But, you know, sometimes you just have to understand that, look, this is football and it's a contact sport and things are going to happen and guys are going to get hurt. And it's just kind of one of those deals, unfortunately, for Oregon that, you know, they've been hit by the injury bug. And for the most part, a lot of the guys that have been hurt are all at the same position. And yep. even worse, it's, it's a deal where it's, all of the the guys that are hurt are at one position, and it's the one position that had the least depth, you know, or the least proven depth going into a football game. So it, it's unfortunate, but it is the nature of the beast. Everyone deals with injuries. I mean, it's not like Stanford's coming into this football game completely healthy either. I mean, they've they have been almost decimated by injuries uh, on both sides of the football. Walker Little, their best offensive lineman, is out for the year. Uh, Foster Sorrell, another, you know, starting offensive lineman, a guy that at one point was the number one recruit in the country, um, in high school. He's a maybe for the, for the Stanford game, uh, this weekend against Oregon. Um, offensive guard Powell, uh, Dalen Powell, he started last week and he's, he's questionable for Stanford. So your right tackle, your right guard that, that Stanford is starting, they both could be out for, for Oregon. And on top of that, you know their best offensive ta- their best offensive lineman's already out for this football game, and and KJ Costello, the starting quarterback, is you know he he played last week, but he had a concussion the week before. Um, you know, the, Stanford is just as banged up as, as Oregon is. It's just it's kind of you know maybe it, maybe it's their wide receiver injuries or or their offensive line. For, you know, if you compare Oregon's right. receivers all at one spot, you know Stanford's offensive line's been hit. You know, but they've got guys on both sides of the football that are dealing with injuries. And the good thing for Oregon to a certain extent here is you get by Stanford, you hope you minimize injuries there. You then have a bye week, and that bye week, you know, usually, I'll say this, you look at the schedule originally, and I thought a bye week after four games isn't really optimal. I think you'd rather have it after five or six. But I think now, just given the injuries and wherever he's at, it's a really nice timing for that bye week, especially with some of these wide receivers who it sounds like that target date is maybe that Cal game. Um, at least to get them back practicing the week of, according to Cristobal. So uh, bye weeks, I think it's kind of hit or miss on, on whether they hit at the right time. I think this year the oh, bye it's, week, it's hit at the right time. It, it, it's hit Oregon at the perfect time, no question. Third question from at Vault Mega. A year ago, it looked like Oregon played a completely different offensive playbook against Stanford from the weeks prior. Do you feel that Arroyo and Cristobal have plans offensively against Stanford that we haven't seen yet? Um, I'll let you take that one, Matt. And I think really quick, I think he's referencing the fact that, you know, basically Dylan Mitchell wasn't involved in the passing game coming into that. And they showed a couple of different offensive looks than they had um, in their non-league play. 
Yeah, I, I I would not be surprised at all. I'm I'm expecting Oregon to have a couple more wrinkles um, within their offense. I think you know the the obviously they focused a ton on throwing the football to Dylan Mitchell through the first uh, once conference play started last season, and I don't know if there's going to be that guy that shows up that you're like, yeah, Oregon's just going to chuck the ball 80% of the time to Johnny Johnson. Like that, I don't I don't anticipate that to happen, but I wonder if we'll see that kind of play out at running back. Like Oregon has, they have taken every opportunity when they practice to rest and not give a, a workload that CJ Verdell doesn't need to carry. And by that, I mean like there's no sense in, in, in a spring practice that they're going to hit and they know what Verdell can do. You know, they, they choose to you know be very cautious with him. And, you know, side on the, on the side of let's not risk injury to Verdell. Let's, you know, let's hold him out if we can. Does he, does he get substantially better by doing this drill or can we, you know, keep him up to speed by doing something else with less contact? Um, I kind of wonder if we're seeing that with him these last two games. People have wondered what's with running, what's with the running backs, the rotations, the, you know, they did the same thing last year as well. You know, they rotated through four running backs, almost five, really. It was, or four. Uh, it was Verdell, it was Die, it was Cyrus Abilakio, and then also Tony Brooks James during non-conference play. But then once conference play started, um, they really settled in on CJ Verdell being kind of Oregon's bell cow and then Travis Dye being the guy that would come in if Verdell needed a rest. And through, you know, Auburn, Verdell had, I think he had 14 or 15 carries. He was solid in that game. He, he ran for like 80-something yards. And then the last two games against Nevada and, and against Montana, he's accumulated just 16 carries for 73 yards. Um, that's two carries more than he did against Auburn, and that's three yards less than he did against Auburn. Um, I think they're saving him. Like they, they, they could beat Nevada, they could beat Montana without playing CJ Verdell. They got him into the game both times, and you know now I would not surprise me one bit if you know we see some kind of adjustment offensively where Verdell gets you know a bulk of the carries uh, the first couple of weeks in Pac-12 play and. and you know, really release him out and and see what the run game can really do. I mean, go back and look at the first three games of Oregon's season, right? Like against Bowling Green, he had 13 carries. Against Portland State, he had 11. San Jose State, he had 15. And then the next week against Stanford, 20. Uh, Cal, he had to leave because of an injury, but he had nine carries and 106 yards. Uh, Washington, 29 carries. And then Washington State, they got behind, so he didn't carry the ball a ton, but he he had 12, and then Arizona got hurt again with six. But then the next week, UCLA 25, Utah 11, but Arizona State 14, Oregon State 23. You know, I, I think his carries will go up, and that might be the where we see a drastic change or you know some wrinkles in the offense is the use of CJ Verdell. Maybe this is a couple of days early in terms of our podcast rundown, but we're going to do some bold predictions later. One of my bold predictions, I'm just previewing it right now is that I think the running game is going to be significantly better this week against Stanford than what we've seen in the first three games. And 
I, I just have a sense that this offensive line is too good, and these running backs are I, – I still really think talented running backs. I know they probably have kind of a bad rap right now, in part because the stats aren't there and because they've maybe missed a couple of holes here and there, and maybe they just haven't looked, you know, like some of the Oregon running backs of old when you had, you know, Michael James and Jonathan Stewart and DeAnthony Thomas and Royce Freeman and, and Kenyon Barner and all these guys. But I, I have a sense that this Stanford game is going to kind of be when we start seeing that run game come together. Um, Stanford isn't quite as good this year against the run as they have been in the last couple of years. But I just think this is a game where Oregon is really going to come and, and want to show its personality a little bit more. And to me, that's still, despite what we've seen at wide receiver and tight end and the passing game having some really good moments, I still think there is a big part of what Mario Cristobal wants to do is just overpower teams on the ground. And I think, I think we're going to see more of that on Saturday against Stanford than what we've seen so far in three non-conference games. I mean, this Our, might be the game to do it. Like, yeah. Stanford's got multiple defensive linemen, multiple linebackers, either out or or game-time decisions. And if, you know, if they're game-time decisions, they're nowhere near being fully healthy. Um, you know, this might be the game where on top of that, you know, they don't run that that funky 3-3-5 defense that right. you know, Oregon's had to face the last two weeks. And, you know, I, I think Stanford is, from a matchup perspective, more of what Oregon wants to face, you know, good on good, strong on strong, you know, man on man right up against each other. So Oregon can do some double teams, uh, and just kind of, you know, outgun you, you know, to the left or to the right or, or whatever direction the ball is going. This might be the game where, where we see that and it, and it pay off. Yeah. I mean, and, and last year's game, you know, we should remember, uh, they, they ran the ball. Pretty effectively in that game, 178 yards for Dell at 115 of them. They had three rushing touchdowns. Um, I could see this game being, I, I, I still think this is going to be a game where we see that come together a little bit more. Uh, and this next question, uh, it kind of leads right back into it. I and mean, maybe this is, we've already answered this to a certain extent, but I'll, I'll read it anyway. At JC Esquire, how concerning should it be that we have one of the better offensive line groups in recent memory, but only did an okay job running the ball? against an FCS team. So we were just talking about that running game, but I think we're going to continue talking about it a little bit more. Matt, why don't you go ahead and take this one? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be, right? Like, there's the fact that they played Nevada and that they played Montana, and Oregon ran multiple times against both teams on third and short. We're talking third and one, third and two, third and three, and could not generate a big enough push to get a first down. Like, I mean, Shane Lemieux himself said that this week is, you know, they did not execute. It wasn't bad play calling. It wasn't, you know, scheme. It was poor execution on the players aspect of things, not doing what they should do. And, and he said, it's frustrating. You know, they, they know that they have to do better, but he also said, you know, maybe the silver lining in that is that, you know, the three, three, five is such a difficult thing for them. Uh, and they haven't been able to, you know, to get past it, but they won't really play that same defense the rest of the way so maybe you you go into this Stanford game thinking okay you know Stanford's going to run a defense that's more uh three like a three four defense um and you you go out there and you think well maybe that opens the door for Oregon to to have an opportunity to to make more plays and play you know a traditional you know style of defense that they've you know they face and that leads to you know a better run game but I think you have to be concerned to a certain degree because you're right. Like four out of these five offensive linemen are seniors. 
Three out of those four are guys that are four-year starters on this team. Penny Sewell might be the best one of the bunch, and he's only a sophomore and is already generating NFL discussion. You know when he come when he can come out next season, not this year, but next year. And you know, I you have such a talented group, you should be able to blow teams off the line of scrimmage. Now, I don't think it's a fair expectation to say because I respect Stanford's defense so much that. I don't think you can go out and say, you know, Oregon needs to average six or seven yards per carry against the Cardinal defense. Um, but you have to do better than what you're doing right now. Yeah. And I think that's exactly where you start is, is this can't be the high point of this run game or it's going to be a very disappointing season from that part, you know, in that perspective. And frankly, if this is what the run game is all season, they're probably not going to reach a lot of their goals. I don't think you can win the conference if you're, you know, I don't want to say unable to run the football because that's not fair. I mean, it's not like it's not like they haven't had any success, but if it's not something that is a staple of what you're able to do, and uh, I think that becomes problematic. It's a lot to ask to rely entirely upon Justin Herbert's arm to win football games. But I, again, I, I already said I think I think they're gonna I think we're gonna see a step forward this week. I mean, there's there's you know multiple sides to this too. I mean, true, the offensive line doesn't block correctly, and and you know. That, that's why the play doesn't work. Or the offensive line blocks things correctly and the running backs just miss the hole. Um, you know, that could be the issue. Or, you know, Oregon's running backs, uh, or, or, you know, or Justin Herbert gives the ball on an RPO when he should take it so that he can either run it or he could throw it. You know, there's a lot of factors at play. So there's not just one group, I think, that you look at and say, hey, they are, you know, they are the culprit for why Oregon's run game is not at the level it should be. I think it's a, you can legitimately say it's a full team issue right now of why this group is not running like we all think they should. Yeah. And, and a fourth element would be the, you know, the, the play call is not the right play call against a certain defensive look. I think you can point the finger or, or however you want to distribute the blame to basically every party on almost every single play. That's going to be our, our fourth question, right? That was question four. That was question four. I can count. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, You're listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on this Wednesday, like we always do each week, we do mailbag. So we're halfway through the mailbag. We've we've taken some questions. We've discussed a lot of, I think, Oregon big picture type questions. And uh, Eric, what do we got next? This question comes from at Sabin Brab. How likely is game day to Eugene this season? And how likely is game day to a Duck away game? I think that's a good a good question. And if you look at the schedule, it's actually interesting right now. I've got the schedule pulled up. Uh, Four. Mm-hmm. I beat you. Four of the next, uh, four of the nine conference games on the schedule are against teams that are ranked. Uh, and it's worth mentioning: Washington State's ranked 19th, Washington 22nd, uh, California 23rd, and Arizona State 24th. So it's not like these are like top 10 ranked teams. But if these teams continue to hold serve and win games, like that's what ultimately this comes down to, right? For most of these yeah. college game day things, it's two ranked teams that there's implications on the national level or implications on the conference level. And I just look at who Oregon is right now and where they're ranked and if they continue to win games, where they could be ranked when they play some of these games. And I just have a hard time seeing Oregon not getting at least one either home or road game on ESPN College Game Day this season, 
especially if they continue to win football games, because you look at that game, even if you look at the game against California on October 5th, that comes after the bye week. If Oregon beats Stanford and Cal beats its next two opponents, I think they play Ole Miss and Arizona State. That's going to be like Oregon probably ranked somewhere in like the 10 to 12 range, and Cal's probably somewhere in the 18 to 22 range. I, I would imagine they would give that a really hard look. And then you look at the Washington game a couple weeks later. Uh, in Seattle, that's a game that means a ton. I would imagine that would get consideration. If Oregon wins that game and Washington State's competitive, that next week uh, Washington State-Oregon could be, and Eugene could be college game. That's worth mentioning last year in Pullman. That was, you know, that was the first time Washington State had had, uh, had hosted college game day before that Oregon game. You even look at that USC game the following week. If Oregon gets hot and USC is able to ride its ship, that could be a game. The Arizona State game against, uh, you know, the second to last game of the season in Tempe could be another opportunity for that. So, I think if you look at it from a home game perspective, I think Cal and Washington State feel like clearly the most likely games. Um, but on the road, you can see Washington, USC, maybe Arizona State. There's just the way the conference is, is so even right now, and there's so many teams that are uh, at least look pretty competitive to start the season. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now, but it comes down to how Oregon plays, and obviously it comes down to how some of these other teams play uh, in, in the meantime. Yeah, I, I think this boil, there's to get game day, there's two things, two factors. Three factors, really. One, you have to be good, first of all. And then two, your opponent also has to be a good football team. And then three, it's what are the other games during the week that ESPN has? Because they typically like – they don't always do this. Every once in a while we'll see them go and, um, you know, game day will be at a site that's not an ESPN family game. But for the most part, they like to keep it in-house. And – unless it's just clearing away, uh, you know, the better games on NBC or CBS or Fox. But that being said, so you, you need to be good, your opponent needs to be good, and then you have to be the best game of that bunch. And if you look at um, the Cal game, you are right. That game might be an opportunity for, for game day to come to Eugene. California is already in the top 25 right now. And, you know, if they win a couple of games, like you said, you know, they play Mississippi State, which which would certainly move the needle a ton. For, right. for for them if they went down there and beat an SEC team and then the next week if they they play Arizona State who's 24th in the country and they play Colorado this season or this week so you would think that ASC would beat would beat Colorado so Cal could be coming off an Ole Miss win and then another win against a ranked opponent which would be their second win in a row I mean they or in a row against a ranked opponent I mean they could realistically be a team that's inside the the top 18. Yeah. Really. I mean, a road win against an SEC opponent's going to move you up uh, a couple spots by itself. And then if you get another victory over another ranked opponent, you know, that might bump you inside the top, you know, top 20, top 18 in the country. In Oregon, you beat Stanford handedly and you, you know, bye week comes by, you might find yourself closer to the, the top 12 or 13 than, than 16 right now by that time that game comes around. So yeah, that, that's an opportunity, but other games on the schedule that week include, um, Auburn at Florida. Now that's going to be the game of the week, right? Cause Auburn's undefeated right now. Florida's undefeated. They're both in the top 10. It's two weeks out. So things are going to change potentially, but that might be the, the, the toughest test. But is that a CBS game? Like does, does ESPN want to promote? A game that's not on their schedule. Um, you've also got Iowa 
at Michigan. That's another two games that are going to be ranked opponents most likely. They're both undefeated. I think that's a Fox game. Um, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken or it, you know, it, it is scheduled though for a 9 a.m. game. So that typically they don't do that as well. Um, Michigan, Ohio State's a 4.30 game. That might be an ABC ESPN type of a game, but Michigan State did lose last week to Arizona State. So they're two and one. They're not as of a popular of a pick as, you know, we were expecting them to be. Um, I think you go to Washington. That's probably the most likely one out of the group. Uh, for, uh, from a road perspective, uh, for Oregon, I, I think that, or maybe USC, maybe, I mean, USC is probably going to have to go undefeated all the way through, yeah. um, you know, t- to get there. Uh, but when you look at the Washington State Oregon one, this might be Oregon's best chance, I think, to hold it at home. But the issue is, is you're going to have some really big football games being played that day as well. Auburn LSU is being played. Uh, Wisconsin, Ohio State is being played. Notre Dame, Michigan is being played. Texas TCU is being played. Uh, let's just keep going down the list. That's kind of the, the who's who of, of schools. So if, if Oregon's going to want to host game day, you're right. It's probably going to have to be Cal or Washington State. And if it's going to be Washington State, both those teams are going to have to look very, very, very good uh, because you've got some heavy hitters in Ohio State, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Michigan, Auburn, LSU. I mean, those are those are monumental, humongous games. I kind of wish we didn't we didn't have a game that week so we could watch all of them. <laughs> and we should mention the Oregon's other home games are Colorado, which is on a Friday night, which pretty much eliminates that as yep. a possibility. Uh, Arizona and Oregon State in November, and not to drag those two programs, but it, it would be highly unlikely, at least in my mind, that those teams would be attractive enough of a game, unless Oregon's like undefeated, or as one loss, I should say, against Arizona, and Arizona has almost run the table since. Like That would be the only way that really registers. So I agree. I think Cal Washington State at home, definitely the best, uh, most likely picks. And then there's a handful, of, or a half a handful of road games that also look interesting. All right, our sixth question comes from Who's the Voss? Should all traveling duck fans download Amp Me on their phones to play Shout for Troy <laughs> Die at away games? I had to look up what Amp Me was. It's a uh, basically it's a network that allows your phones to connect so you all so all the phones are playing the same song at the same time. They all sync up and stream the music together, which is actually a pretty cool concept. So thank That's you, not uh, scary at all, man. <laughs> that ability? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not great. But uh, thank you, Who's the Voss, for introducing me to new technology that potentially could be dangerous, but also pretty cool for playing Shout on road games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should mention, I, I think one of the cool things from those first two home games, though, has been uh, just how involved Troy Dye has been with the Shout thing. And I, I, I you know, and, and it would be really cool to see that be something that is almost a senior tradition or, or each year certain players are, are, you know, maybe take it upon themselves or the whole team does to be right. more involved in it. But it's just such a cool way to get the fans excited and, and, and clearly uh, something that I hope con- continues on. Uh, as far as doing it at a road game, uh, that would be that would be very, very impressive if they were able to pull that off, don't you think? And also very disrespectful. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> I think Mario Grisobolf might lose his, his head if that happened. Uh, he, he would go crazy upset if that happened. But I, I would certainly be there to see it for the content. That would be... Absolutely fantastic. So yes, please do this 
Troy and I, if you do listen to this podcast, please do shout at Stanford. Try and get the entire Duck fans to play the song because I'd love to see what what will come next. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I think a good question, a fun question, um, uh, the answer is probably uh, that's unlikely. But if maybe maybe fans can organize and we've seen weird things happen in college football, uh, it would certainly be. Uh, a pretty wild, wild thing to see, especially on a road game between the third and the fourth quarter if shouts started blaring on a bunch of cell phones and, and Troy was dancing, uh, by the sideline. Um, our seventh question comes from at Stephen Welch 822. How many more games until Funa and KT are the starters over Young and Cumberlander, regardless of health? We should mention that Funa obviously started, uh, this last game because Young was held out. I'll, I'll let you take that one, Matt. I think it's an interesting one, though, because those guys are both clearly such talented players. Yeah, I don't know if – KT is physically capable, of, I think, of making an impact at Oregon year one. We've obviously seen that through three games. But I wonder if he's adjusted enough, if he's ready, you know, conditioning-wise, you know, from a – you know, just simply, you know, we typically think of conditioning, but then also, like, is his body built up enough yet to withstand the rigors of being the starter and playing, you know, all those snaps and doing it over the course of nine more weeks? Um, you know, it takes time you know, to build your body up to get to that level. Um, is he at that point yet? I don't know. Um, I feel more confident in saying that about Funa than I do about KT. And I think, you know, is KT all is he fully immersed in what his role needs to be you know is he okay in coverage is he okay as a run you know run defender is he okay as a pass rusher um you know pass coverage uh th- those are all things to look at i think funa has quickly established himself as a very very capable player um he made plays against auburn nevada and montana and big ones at that um i would think if i had to choose one of the two um, I would probably say Funa is is the guy more likely to not relinquish the starting role than KT. I, I think we're on the same page with this one. I think we had a question last week asking about Funa's, uh, I guess, readiness as a freshman as opposed to KT's. And through three games, I think it's it seems like Funa maybe a little bit surprising. He's kind of got you know got the leg up there. He certainly made the bigger plays and. Um, it'll be, it'll be, I think it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens with that edge rushing group. This is one of those really good, uh, situations to have where, where you have really, really talented young guys pushing seniors, uh, for, for potentially starting spots and playing time. I, I would be, I put it this way. I, I would be really shocked if those two guys aren't, aren't out there on the field, you know, in games where there's going to be a lot of passing going on, you know, in a game where Oregon plays Washington state, I think those guys are going to be out there because they're so good off the edge. They're so disruptive. I could see it from a matchup perspective, maybe a game like this week against Stanford where maybe the ball isn't aired out quite as much. Maybe they don't play quite as much. But I, I do think both players have proven already that they're capable of playing roles. And I think fans should be very, very excited because it's just the tip of the iceberg for both guys. And yeah, I'm not trying to sit here and say that that KT's not performing well because he is. Right, I mean, exactly. I, I think it speaks more to um, – I think, I think Cumberlander is still the better player. I don't know if you can say that with Bryson Young. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's probably a fair take right now. And, and again, given the small sample size this season, and you just kind of go down the line statistically, it, it would be easy to say Thune has at least performed at a higher level. Obviously, Young didn't play last week, 
Um, but I think that's I think that's fair. And again, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Our last question from at B Murph is recruiting a kicker. Uh, is recruiting a kicker take a special talent? Some some seem like sometimes seems like teams recruit very well and continue to reload, while other programs such as Oregon haven't had a good kicker in what seems like forever and struggle to find consistent ones. Um, sorry, I butchered the first part of that question. Uh, it, I think it clearly does. I think evaluation and recruiting, regardless of position, is is, is a skill set you develop. You know, you, it's not it's not a situation where you just rely upon stars or what other evaluators are saying. You have to go out and, and make your own evaluations and decisions. And with Oregon, I think there's been maybe a little bit of bad luck with Adam Stack, who was obviously dealing with injuries throughout his career. He was a really highly regarded guy when he came in. I think uh, I think it's way too early to say that the the chapters have been finished on Camden Lewis. He, you know, he's a true freshman. He's just played three games. He hasn't missed an extra point. He's missed one field goal, but that was the only one he's tried so far. And he's looked pretty good on kickoffs. Um, so I, I think it's too early to say he's not going to be a weapon or not going to be a very good kicker. But I also think if he has a hard time this season and it, it doesn't look like he's someone who's going to be capable going forward, at some point, if that's what's decided, I think that does reflect upon evaluation. And if and maybe that is a place where Oregon hasn't been very good under the staff. If if uh, if if you look up and Camden Lewis has finished the season like similar to Stack last year, where he's five for ten and doesn't make a kick past forty yards, and, and it just doesn't feel like there's much momentum there. Yeah, I I, I think it's finding a kicker is is difficult, and I I think ideally if if you could go back and do a things a couple things over against Montana last week, Oregon had an opportunity to kick a field goal. Just see what Camden Lewis can do. Um, get him out there, make a kick, because kickers are weird, man. Like they ha- if they don't have confidence, they're it, it feels like the percentage of of them making a kick almost from where wherever, however close or however far, drastically goes down if they don't have confidence, and it's hard. Regardless of sport, regardless of position, regardless really of, of anything, of, of any field, if you don't have confidence in what you're doing or if you haven't done it before, it's hard to generate that confidence in yourself that you can do it. And so just seeing the ball go through the uprights, even if it's a short chip shot, can can do wonders for a kicker's mindset going into a big kick. And I think if if you have to feel a little concerned, maybe not concerned isn't the right word, but maybe anxious um, or, you know, maybe have some anxiety a little bit of what happens if Oregon has to trot out a kicker and it's the fourth quarter, two and a half minutes to go in the game and the game is tied and you're 30 yards out, 35 yards out. Like I think, and it's fourth and five. Like I think that is a high stress situation for Oregon's football team, for the kicker, for the head coach and for Oregon's fans, because you just don't know, like you don't know what Camden Lewis can do. And that's, and that's why it was a little puzzling that we didn't see him attempt to kick after he missed that 20 yarder against Auburn. And, and I know some of the games are just, you know, I don't think against Nevada, there were that many opportunities to really give it a try. Um, but, but like we said, there were some, there were some opportunities against Montana to try it and, and, and they chose not to. And, I think that was maybe a little bit telling upon where the, the, the confidence level is, but I also think 
it's 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 complicated because you're talking about psychology here with with this with these kickers and you don't want to put him out there and he misses another easy kick and then he goes into Pac-12 play being like right I don't know if I can do this I've missed two kicks I don't have much confidence but the, the flip side if he goes out there and he nails one of those kicks now he's got something to build off of and some some confidence so it is I think a difficult thing to juggle um, but again I do think it's a tough spot where you go into conference play without having made a field goal so far in three games. And you've only attempted one, and that was in the very first game, and it was a, basically an extra point distance, and you missed it. I, I think, you know, th- there's just so little that we know about that part of the game. And like you said, in a game that could be close against a team like Stanford, or even if it's not Stanford, it's a couple of weeks down the line here, and it's another game against a Pac-12 team, and Lewis still hasn't shown he can make a kick. That adds a lot of pressure to that. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't want the kicker's first attempt to be a game-tying or a game-determining no. kick. That's just not fair to him. Yeah, and I think so. That that might be one of the things that you look for if you're Mario Cristobal. Of like, hey, like we could maybe go for it, and we might get it against Stanford in the second quarter or the first quarter, um, or we could take this easy shot. We get points. We're still in the lead. You might do that just to help that guy's confidence because if you do get in a situation in that game or maybe later on in the year where he needs to make a big kick, he's got confidence that he can do it. And speaking with, with Lewis beforehand this season, it was, I think, at Media Day uh, really early on in August, he said so much of kicking is confidence-related, and it's confidence from the coaches but also confidence in yourself. So I know he's aware of of, of all of this stuff, and, and I would be – it'll be very interesting, I think, to see how he handles himself in a big moment. I'm sure Oregon fans – are, are anxiously, like you said, just waiting to see what they got in him. I, I, it's very unfair to make some sort of judgment call, I think, off of one missed kick this season. I think we have a lot more that we need to see from him before we start saying Oregon hasn't had, a, like the question asked, Oregon hasn't had a good kicker in what seems like forever. I think that's a little bit unfair. Real quick, let's. I want to steal Kevin Wade's question. Um, our coworker posed this on Twitter as well. But for you, Eric, what – if you could pick a Power 5 opponent for a home-and-home, home, a true home-and-home, home, mm. who would you pick for Oregon? This is a little bit more interesting than Kevin's first question on the podcast, which was like how long it would take to sit in every seat in Autzen. <laughs> I, I would like to see... I would like to see a series with somebody from the SEC in a true home-and-home, and, home, and I want it to be one of the premier programs. And Do you want Bama? I was just trying to think if I wanted to say I wanted Bam or if I wanted, like, I, I, I don't know. I guess George is already, like, that's already happening. Yes. So, sort of. I guess it's not, like, a true-ish hope. I mean, it is what it is. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's maybe the maybe that's the choice. Um, just because you want to measure yourself against the best. There's so many storylines, especially with this staff, with Alabama, obviously, with, in a lot of ways, I think, trying to model the program Cristobal is developing after the other place, as he often refers to it. Um, <laughs> I, I just think, it, and again, Auburn is, or Alabama is the premier program in the country, and there's no question about it. You know, Clemson's pushing right now, but I, I still don't think they've taken Alabama's, you know, mantle. I mean, Alabama for the last decade has really been the preeminent power, and it's, I think, what are they, like 58 and 4 or something like that? Something crazy the last five years? Yeah. Um, and, and those lots, so a couple of those losses have happened in the championship game. 
that would be really interesting to see. And again, it, I still think it's a real bummer that we never saw when Oregon was at the height of its powers under Kelly and even under uh, under Helfrich with Marcus Mariota in 2014, face Alabama. I think that and it was something that both think both fan bases and a lot of the country wanted to see. And it might be coming a decade or so too late, but I do think an opportunity to see those two programs face each other. If Oregon is able to continue to elevate itself to the position where they're sort of holding down the fort as the West Coast and the Pac-12's preeminent program and, and the SEC preeminent program remains Alabama, but just seeing those programs duke it out and play each other, I think would be great for the sport, but also really great for understanding kind of, I, I don't I think the Pac-12 gets such a bad rap against the SEC. And if Oregon could go out there and win a game against Alabama, um, you know, early on in the season, either if it's Tuscaloosa or in Eugene, like that would be a huge story, I think, for, for the sport itself, but especially for this program. I've got an idea. I think, I think there's an obvious one from a content perspective. Um, and that starts with Florida State. Yeah, I almost, I, I, I almost said that. I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted to go too, too easy there. I don't know. Florida State is the easy choice. Like, I think Oregon fan, if you ask Oregon, hey, like, Oregon's going to go to Florida State. They're going to play in Tallahassee. The Willie Taggart's going to come back to Eugene. You're going to have a chance to boo him for leaving. Like, Oregon fan would eat that up so fast. Like, there's no way Oregon's fan base would not sign up for that game. But I think that's the easy choice. I would, though, stay in the state. And I would love – if Oregon played Miami, because think of link of uh, True. the the headlines and the storylines that we would get from that game. Mario Cristobal played at Miami. He coached at Miami. He's from that area. Oregon comes from a program that's trying to dip more and more into the state of Florida from a recruiting perspective. I think if you played the Hurricanes on their play on their field, you won that game. That would carry just as much weight in that area and nationally as it would as if you went in and beat an SEC team. Maybe not in Alabama, maybe not a Clemson. I know Clemson's not in the SEC, but it would still carry a ton of weight nationally. You would make a lot of headway from a recruiting perspective. You would go in, Cristobal would get a victory over uh, his alma mater. Um, and you know we know how important the state of Florida is from a recruiting perspective. We know Oregon is going to continue to try to dip in there, I think that would help uh, those efforts as well. And then just the history base. These two teams have played once, 1958, and Oregon lost that football game. I believe the score, uh, yeah, if I'm correct here, the score was 2-0. to zero. Like, football should be played between these two teams to fix that in the record books. The, the last time it's these they played, it does not say 2-0. I, I think Oregon at Miami and Coral Gables – would be absolutely fantastic. And then having Miami come all the way to the West Coast and playing in Eugene would also be just thrilling football. I'd love to see happen. And we should mention, just one thought I had on the Florida State possibility a while ago is even if they scheduled it, it doesn't seem likely that Willie Taggart would be the head football coach when those games are played. Just just, just being honest about how that thing is all played out. <laughs> uh, that but, would certainly be really, really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I, I, I like the Miami pick, too. That was another, you know, obviously those teams probably should have played in the national championship game in, what was it, 2001? 2001, yeah. Uh, so some history there as well. All right, I think that's going to do it for us. Or real, real quick, 
one okay. more. Let's just oh, yeah. make it around let's, even 10. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, what are you looking forward to? The What's the most intrigue you have in this Oregon-Stanford game? I, I think part of me expects this game to go one of two ways, and I'm really curious to see which Oregon team we see. I think this is a potential game where we see Oregon just come out and throttle Stanford. And I don't mean like 77 to 6, like what we saw against Nevada. I think that's that would be crazy. Right. But I, I could see Oregon coming out and winning really handily and completely taking ownership of kind of that Pac-12 North, and you walk away going like, this team is absolutely for real. But I could also see a game where the Stanford team's down right now, but it's still Stanford, and they've still been so good for so long where I almost feel like we're overlooking them a little bit. Oregon's like a double-digit scoring favorite, which I think is probably justified, but like I'm still wary of all of the hype right now and with the injuries that Stanford's dealing with, with Costello being in and out of the lineup. I could just see this game being another game where it's really, really close and Oregon or Stanford wins a really tight game. So I think what I'm – most interesting to see is does Oregon have kind of that killer instinct and have they sort of arrived at that level where, you know, five or six years ago, Oregon would go on the road in this game against Stanford and would just maybe obliterate Stanford. I'm curious to see if this team has that in them. I, part of me thinks they do, but I'm hoping we see that on Saturday. Just just utter dominance from start to finish, and you come away going like, maybe Stanford's not typical Stanford, but this Oregon team is is really, really good. Yeah, I think for me it's kind of along those same lines. Like you think or we think Oregon is good, right? We think that the Ducks are going to be one of the better teams in the Pac-12. I think we're both on in agreement here that Oregon we think is the best team in the Pac-12. And yes. the reality is, is Stanford is hurt. They're not as good as they've they've previously been, and you have to go in and win a football game. In, in a good way. And when I'm, what I mean by that is I want to see this Oregon football team go into Stanford and be the team that we think they are, be the more physical team, be the deeper team and be the more talented team. So I want to see explosion plays. I want to see Oregon dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football and play a clean game. And you walk away thinking, yeah, Oregon was a 10 point favorite and it was justified. Like how many times have you gone into a game and Oregon is supposed to win big and they don't, you know, and, and, or they, they, they don't win big, but they still win or, you know, a win's a win. It doesn't really matter. But at the same time, like this is supposed to be a blowout and, or at least a two score game. And I want to see Oregon walk away from Cardinal stadium and, and be like, yeah, that was exactly what it was supposed to be. Oregon was by far the better football team. It was clear. It was evident. There's no doubt. And while Stanford had their chances, you know, Oregon just wore them down and won the football game. I, I don't know if that means Oregon wins 35 to 10 or if, if Oregon wins, you know, 34 to 24. I don't know if, if that's, you know, it, it could be either one of those, but I just want to see Oregon come out of this game feeling like, yeah, they were the dominant team. And what happened is what should have happened. It, it not be a surprise of like, wow, Oregon really handed it to him. Like, I didn't think Stanford was that bad. And I think what we're both saying is we hope it's basically a replay of the first three quarters of last year's game, but with a different fourth quarter, right? Because it felt like last year it was headed in that direction and then the wheels came off. Sure. That's going to do it for us. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem. Thank, Thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast, Mailbag Wednesday.
edition. Adios, amigos. The th- a Throckmorton story. Up.